Y'all may be seated. Uh, we're in a series on the Holy Land. I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite places today. They're all my favorite places, but this one I was really looking for. And this is why. I'm going to read the scripture in a minute, so I haven't forgotten it. Um, I want to tell you, first of all, about how I grew up. And how, give me a show of hands. How many of y'all grew up in Texas? Okay, how many somebody, somewhere else? Okay, all right. So listen carefully if it was somewhere else, because this is important, okay? I grew up in San Antonio. And San Antonio, it's either, for water, it's either feast or famine. Is that pretty much true? Mo most of the hill country, at least, right? We know. It's either flooding or we're in some kind of a severe drought. And when it's flooding, everybody's like, dee, dee, dee. we've never had a drought before in our lives. And then when it's drought, we can't even remember about the flood. We forget, right? But that's what I grew up with. I grew up in a climate where um, some of y'all who grew up in Texas, can you count on your hands the number of time it snowed since you've lived here, right? I, I think this is what I have right here, three, okay? Um, twice when I was a kid, significant snow, not just like, it's going to snow, and you're like, there's a flake, right? But like actual accumulation, and then once when I lived here, actually, for my kids got to see it. Um, so I remember that. I remember those times. Um, I remember that when it would flood, my mom would drive me and my brother and sister, we'd pack into our old station wagon, and she'd drive us to go look at the Almost Park Dam, right? Like, look at all the water, because we'd never seen that much water in one place. Or we'd drive down to Almost Park, and we'd look at how all of the picnic tables were underwater. Or we'd drive up to the Canyon Lake Dam and watch the water pouring out. Have any of y'all ever done Okay. All right. You're right with me right there. All right, so that's the kind of home I grew up in. On the other side of things, since my mom did appreciate what she called big water, um, she also would teach us about the value of the water that we had. See, the San Antonio lives off of an aquifer, which is like a big underground holding tank um, that they had put a straw into. This is how I understand it very technical, and suck the water up for the city to use. And so you have to be careful that you don't suck up all the water. And we'd hear on the news every night, the aquifer level. We'd get that report. The level of the aquifer is right here. You know, and everybody go, ooh. It's like the level of Lake Travis, right? We all know the level of Lake Travis. We all knew the level of the aquifer. And so my mom would teach me when I was a kid, one of the things I got in the biggest trouble for is if I was washing my hands and I left the water running. Forget the germs, people. You turn off the faucet while you're scrubbing up your hands because that's a lot of precious resource running down the drain, right? Still to this day, if I take a bath, I'm like, ooh, this just doesn't feel right, right? Because there's a lot of water here. I feel like I should go scoop it out and pour it on the plants. This is just the way I was raised. <laughs> I've seen people who come from other places, like turn on the water, walk away, do some stuff, cook a meal, and then out of the water, and I'm like inching towards the water, like turn it off, right? Like, don't do that. It's precious. Okay, so I tell you all this to tell you that the Holy Land I've heard before I went has a very similar climate to ours. So if we talk about turning off the water or installing a low-flow showerhead or a low-flow toilet or planting um, native plants, right, they get it. When we got there, it was in January. And when, what happens to y'all when you travel anywhere during the winter? You are always made fun of, right? Because you're always freezing and people are like in their shorts. They're like, this is a warm snap or whatever. And you're like, it's 32 degrees and it's freezing. So we go to the Holy Land and it's cold. And we're all cold and nobody's making fun of us. Because they're all cold too. 
So it was nice. It was sleeting when we got into the car. And, you know, you go to the, another country for the first time, you think, well, maybe this is normal. And our guide is just saying, this is so weird. We can't believe you're coming here on this day. It never sleeps. You know, it's snowing in Jerusalem. It never snows in Jerusalem. It made international news. It never snows, right? Those little kids are going to remember it their whole life because it never does that. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you all this because we understand water the way the people of God throughout time, the Old Testament, New Testament, when they're talking about water, you just put your ideas about water into that, you're going to get it, okay? One of my favorite scriptures that I was dying to see come to life in the Holy Land is this one. This is from Jeremiah. It's the very beginning of his call. It's chapter 2, verse 13, and God is laying out what the problem is with the people, and the way he sums it up is, my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the spring of living, living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And then, that was the issue, and then you get to our solution. Jesus, in John chapter 7, in the middle of a temple, stands up and says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Okay, so this mentions, these scriptures are very much part of me, a Texas girl. And so the thing that I wanted to see most of all when I went to Israel, the thing that I needed to get a picture of so I could show it to you, and I didn't really know what it would look like, so I just wanted to see it, was a cistern, right? For, forget, you know, the palaces and the bathhouses. I needed to see a cistern because Jeremiah is talking about a cistern. I wanted to see what that looks like. So we go, we're going around the Holy Land our first day. Greg and I must have been filming somewhere or something because I missed this cistern. And Kevin comes up and whispers to me, hey, there was a cistern back there. I'm like, there's a cistern? I need to go take a picture of it. We need to go get a video of it. Something needs to happen, right? There, I'm never going to see a cistern again. And Jeannie's like, whoa, slow down. She said, I promise you, we will see another cistern. I'm like, I don't want to miss out on the cistern, Jeannie. I really don't want to miss out on the cistern, right? And she's like, Laura. It's an arid climate. You are going to see so many cisterns, it's going to be repetitive. And sure enough, by the end, every ruin you see, you're like, cistern, cistern, cistern. But this is my favorite cistern. This is an ancient cistern used for holding water. And the reason that this is meaningful to me is because of the scripture that says, when God says that his people have traded springs of living water, life-giving, eternal water that they have in him for cracked cisterns. And so this cistern you can see has some water in it, but water is life when you're in the desert. Jerusalem didn't have a water supply. The only way they had water is if they could hold it. And so to imagine trading an abundant spring that will never go dry for a cistern that's cracked of our own making um, is what God is trying to convey to his people when he says what they're giving up by turning their hearts away from him. That was an awesome cistern. I, I dragged, I found it. Like, we didn't, it wasn't on the itinerary. I found it. I'm just, like, down there, kind of singing worship songs down there, right? And then I'm like, wait, I need to go get a video. So I dragged Greg down, like, five flights of steps because they're low in the ground, cisterns. 
They're like, please take a video, you know, so we're hooking everything up so I could get y'all the video of that cistern. But it had water in it, it was perfect. Okay, so a cistern, let me tell you about it. In the ancient Near East, um, you would dig it into the limestone. Sound like a familiar thing? So you have to dig through the rock, chisel through the rock. You make this huge holding tank, maybe for your family. It's going to be a little smaller for a town as big as this room. We saw cisterns bigger than this room, deeper than this room. And then you line it with plaster, and then you create um, channels so that when it rains through the top of the cistern, it channels all that runoff into the cistern. And you can lower things down, or sometimes they have steps where you can get down to where the water is. Water is life in the desert. So if you live in an arid climate like they did, you have to have these cisterns. You have to. Because there aren't, there's one river, the Jordan River, if you're not living by it, or you're not living by the Sea of Galilee, you need some alternative. So this was the alternative. Um, did you know that we have cisterns in Lake Travis? That before we had like running waters and well pumps, this is a cistern. Carol Cowan is with the LCRA. He goes to our church. I was talking to him about cisterns kind of like cisterns, right? He's like, I'm going to get you a picture to show in church. So this is now underwater, um, but because of the drought, it's receding. And so this is a picture of a cistern that a family had on a farm to hold their water about 100 years ago. Um, so uh, we get the value of water, right? We have this giant cistern called Lake Travis. What's the purpose of that? Water skiing. Yes. But actually, the reason that Lake Travis is built is so it can be a, a cistern for us. So it can be our water supply in an arid land when we're in the middle of a drought like this. We won't be dying. That's why we have that. Okay, that's why we turn off the water. That's why we get rid of the St. Augustine grass. That's why we do all that kind of stuff, right? That's why New Braunfels is such an affront to my sensibilities, when I moved there, I got San Angelo, right? West Texas, I got that their lake once caught on fire because it got so dry. I get it, right? It really did catch on fire. That's pretty bad. I go to New Braunfels, and they are extravagant wasters of water. They have created a shrine to wasting water in the center of their town. They call it Landa Park, and they go there with their kids to celebrate the wastefulness of the water. To be fair, they really can't do anything about it, right? They have a spring in the heart of the town, right there, and they did build a, par a park around it. But I'm telling y'all, I hope you get to go there someday. And I don't know, this is actually taken recently, and the springs are still flowing. And how many years are we into a drought now? A lot. Um, depending on the water table, it can be anything from flowing, like you see here in rivers, to gushing torrents of water. Just like kids back away, you know, like that's really, really fast. And it's deep and it's clear and it's pure. I'm pretty sure I was told you could take a cup and just drink from it. It's that pure, just running down the road, right? And so I would take Kevin and the girls, I'd be like, look at this. And they'd be like, that's cool, Mom, great, you know, or that's cool, LJ. Kevin grew up in Houston, water, not a huge thing, falls from the sky, right? Me, I take my San Angelo friends, and we just sit there for 30 minutes. <laughs> Anybody want to catch this, you know, do something with it? It's going to waste, right? 
Y'all, it was so moving for me to live in New Braunfels. That was one of my favorite parts of it, that and the Nagelin's cookies, um, that I would go and sit there on my lunch break by the streams. I would write my sermons by them because they, springs are a message from God, right? It says in the Bible that God is like a spring of living water. And the thing that amazed my arid heart, my San Antonio girl heart, is that the spring never ends. Very, f- I can't think of things in life that you encounter that never stop, that never stop going, that are flowing when you're sitting there and when you go away, when you need them, when you don't, when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's dry, when it's wet, when it's the middle of the winter, they're still going. Anytime you want to walk over there, they're going. And what does God say? God says, I am a spring of living water to you in your life. Abundance, extravagance, an affront to our sensibilities, right? That never stops. But here's the problem. Here's why I wanted to get you that cistern video, is that God says when he's going to make his case against the people, the people have abandoned God. They say, you know what? God, thanks for that spring of living water. I'd rather have this cistern of stale runoff. Who makes that trade? Right? I mean, like, if you, could, if you were in the ancient world and you could scoop something out of the springs and land a park, or you could go drink out of my rain barrel, where are you going to pick? And what's worse, God says, you traded me, the spring of abundant water, for a cracked cistern. What good is a cracked cistern, y'all? It's over. When it gets a crack in it, it seeps out into the ground. You go there in a time of need to get some water for your family or your city, and the life-giving water is gone. When you need it the most, it's gone. Did you know what cracked cisterns are used for? were used for in the ancient Near East? They were used for two things. They were used as a jail cell. They would put a rope around under your shoulders and lower you in there. You weren't getting out. Or they were used as tombs. The only use of a cracked cistern is a jail cell or a tomb. Why would we do that? Why would they have done that? Why would they trade a spring of living water for something that's only good for a tomb or a jail? Why would I? Because I know I've been digging some cisterns in my life. And I think what it boils down to is it's hard to trust that God's love really never will run out. That he will really always take care of you. It's hard when we turn off the water because it's scarce and precious to have any grasp of something that doesn't run out. And so we go dig with our own hands a holding cell. We're like, well, you know, the land of Park Springs, one time and back in the 50s it dried up. Could happen again, right? And so I'm just going to be ready with this. 
And a lot of us, when we get to those dry times and we go to those cisterns for security, whatever they are, whether that's a financial thing or whether that's kind of just a, a habit that is your cistern or whether it's a person you're trying to make that person be everything to you, whatever that is, we go in the dry time and we're going to find that we're in prison or we're going to find that we've made our own grave. And then instead of getting life from that place, we're pulling up buckets of sand, of death, of nothing. The best example I can give is the most recent economic downturn. A lot of us, when the stock market crashed, realized that we had some cisterns called our retirement accounts, or our house value, or our savings. And to see that all dry up and to say, that is what I was trusting, now what will I do? Well, then we get to the point where Jesus stands in the middle of thirsty people and shout something. These people were waiting for God's deliverance, right? We talked about that with them at the Jordan River. They were longing for God. They felt hungry. They felt thirsty. Jesus in the, is in the middle of this festival and just shouts. I can imagine everybody went really quiet. Who's that guy shouting? Oh, it's Jesus. And he says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. You have a broken cistern? It's giving you nothing? Come over here, he says. I'll trade you. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. The scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That's from Isaiah. That's from Isaiah promising a day of salvation, a day when abundance will be poured out on people. And Jesus says, the day is here. Give up the cistern. Come to me. If you are thirsty, here's a drink that is abundant, that will never end, never run dry, never run out. So I want you all to think, we've got some springs around here too, right? You ever been to Krause Springs? Isn't that great? You ever been out over to Rymer's Ranch and seen how just a little bit of water can transform a rocky area, ferns and pools and cypress trees in abundance? Judy Wisdom's like, I have a little spring in my backyard. Just little enough, but she said 15, 20, 25 birds will gather there. Just at that little tiny thing. God is a stream of living water, abundant life, everlasting forgiveness and love never runs dry. So what I want us to remember is that we live in a climate like the people of God, right? We always knew we were blessed living in the whole country. And all around, God has put these signs for us, these springs, to remind us of something that's not limited. And to remind us that if we ever want to trade those broken cisterns for a fountain of eternal life, all we have to do is come to him. Let's pray. Lord God, for us who are used to scarcity, who are used to a lack and to conservation, remind us again of your abundance. Would you trade us for these broken cisterns? Help us to put our faith in you, Lord. Help us to trust you. That even when we see other things running out, even though we know everything has an end, that your love and your protection and your healing and your forgiveness don't end. 
Could you help us to believe that, Lord? And most of all, help us to come to you so that the Holy Spirit could be flowing out of us to abundant life. Amen. The kids today were learning about communion um, in, in the children's church, and afterwards, one of them came running up to me. They had a big piece of bread that they'd gotten learning about communion. And uh, this, this little girl said to me so joyously, she said, Pastor Laura, it's a feast. <laughs> I love that. That's what this is supposed to be. That goes so well with the message of abundance that we are invited to the feast of God's table. And whatever pain it is we have, whatever forgiveness we need, um, whatever longing in our heart, we can bring that to this table and feast in God's presence, right? We get like this little piece of bread, right? It's a feast. It's a taste of the feast. So we remember that Jesus took this bread before he was to die, that fountain of living water, so that we, the broken, could be made whole, so that we could have that everlasting life in us. He had a meal, and he thanked God for the bread and broke it and passed it around and asked everyone to eat, saying, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat this feast, remember me. In the same way he took the cup, again, he thanked God for it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he asked them all to drink. He said, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, um, just like we've asked. We've asked you to come. Please come and be in us. What Jesus promised that, Holy Spirit, you would be a fountain of eternal life in us, that you would pour out your spirit on this feast that you set for us, because it is a feast. It's the feast in which we are made whole, made new. And I pray, Lord, that as we do trade our broken and cracked cisterns for that spring of eternal life, that the life that bubbles up out of us would not just nourish us and renew us, but it would change the world. It would change the lives of those around us that they would see you within us and the thirsty would know where they could get a drink. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.